Welcome to the Holistic Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Courtney Snyder, a functional medicine physician and holistic child and adult psychiatrist. In this episode, I'll be talking about what I mean by holistic psychiatry and how and why my work evolved in this direction. I'll also be discussing what my evaluations and treatment might look like, and with this, comment on what I see as the most common, though less known, root causes of brain-related symptoms. Before I talk about holistic psychiatry, I'd first like to comment on conventional psychiatry, since that's generally the starting place for most people. The general cultural understanding of psychiatry is that someone will have symptoms, they will see a psychiatrist, and a psychiatrist will, depending on their symptoms, give them a diagnosis, and based on that diagnosis, provide treatment and provide what is considered the standard of care of treatment. So, for example, if someone has depression, they would see a psychiatrist and get on a psychiatric medication, an antidepressant. And that antidepressant would impact a neurotransmitter activity. And with that, hopefully the person has improvement in their symptoms. Not included in that is looking at why the neurotransmitter activity is not as it should be in the first place. So uh, conventional psychiatry doesn't necessarily address the root causes. Functional medicine is the term described of a type of medicine where we evaluate for root causes, and that could be looking for sources of inflammation, sources of toxicity, looking at nutrient levels that impact neurotransmitter activity. And I'll be talking about a lot of this in detail later. Uh, I use the term holistic psychiatry as well because I do feel that our well-being is not just about getting to root cause of brain-related symptoms, but that it's also about how we approach our lives in terms of finding purpose, finding peace within our bodies, how we um, learn to roll with uncertainty. And those are all areas that I don't, that I think require a spiritual bent, not necessarily religious. And so I don't fully align with just saying I'm a functional medicine physician, but I describe myself as a holistic psychiatrist because I really do take the mind-body-spirit approach, though the, the body piece can be somewhat technical at times. So to just give some background on my own education and training, I started out at the University of Texas and studied zoology as an undergrad and then went on to Baylor College of Medicine. And from there, went to Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons, where I trained. I started the psychiatry residency program. I was marrying somebody who I went to medical school with who lived in Louisville, so I transferred to their program, where I completed my adult training, and then went on to do a child and adolescent psychiatry fellowship. So my training, though quite conventional, I did uh, focus a lot on psychotherapy. After I finished my training, I worked briefly in community mental health. Again, very conventional approaches before I had my own private practice. 
so that I could do psychotherapy. And though, yes, I did prescribe medication to those who needed them that I was seeing for therapy, um, it was primarily a therapy-based practice. And with that, over time, I developed a subspecialty in treating children that had attachment disruption. So children that might have had their early life in international orphanages or had um, multiple disrupted attachments. And it was during this time that I learned a lot about trauma and the dramatic impacts on our the rest of our lives that really occur in our first three years. The most impactful part of my education into brain health, however, was yet to come. So I'd like to share a little bit about the turning point for me. And mainly I want to do this because I think my experience is similar to many people out there with chronic health issues or who have a child with chronic health issues. So this is from my first blog post, and it's titled A Thousand Miles, How I Became a Holistic Psychiatrist. And I start with the quote by Lao Tzu, the one that goes, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. I don't recall that step. Maybe it was when I first asked for help for my daughter, or maybe when I decided to stop asking, when I realized that conventional medicine did not have the answers for us. Either way, my experience into illness and healing forced me to let go of many assumptions and expectations I had about the world, about life, and about myself. My hope in starting this blog, and now this podcast, is to share what I've learned so someone else won't have to search as I have for many years. Though at times frustrating, the seemingly snail's pace of such a pursuit, there are many who will never look beyond what is in front of them, many who will never cross paths with those who might point them in an unexpected direction, and many who, when given leads, will never pursue them. If you are reading this or listening to this, perhaps you too are a seeker. So when my daughter was born, I closed my psychiatric practice to be at home with her. Much of our next few years, however, would be clouded by her recurrent ear infections, allergies, gastrointestinal symptoms, and frequent changes in her speech, cognition, memory, and personality, along with my own symptoms, best described as symptoms of chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. These included neck pain, stiffness, fatigue, episodic nausea, dizziness, palpitations, headaches, and sinus infections. My daughter's cognitive changes, however subtle to others, and my intermittent neurologic symptoms, which began to affect my ability to climb stairs, made me anxious at times, very anxious. While I can't speak for the doctors we saw, I suspect many concluded that we suffered from my being an overly informed neurotic physician. I always knew, however, that whatever was going on with each of us was systemic, meaning affecting our brain and body, and inflammatory in nature. I also knew, had I been one of those doctors before learning more, I would have concluded the same. Inevitably, I chose a different path. Like many, I turned to the internet. Without the internet, I wouldn't have crossed paths with many of the teachers who led me to my current understanding about brain-related disorders. Many of these individuals became experts out of a practical need to help their child and or themselves. There was this child psychiatrist and author, Dr. Bruce Seaman, who helped his autistic son with a candida diet, 
and whose work started me down the path of the gut-brain axis. Then there was the functional medicine doctor near Asheville my husband met through business. His wife, also a physician, recommended we look at the work of a doctor in England who cured her son's autism with diet. This is now the fairly well-known GAPS diet, which led me to research on the microbiome. Because of the Internet, I found a local functional medicine physician who was a great help and who directed me to a cardiologist whose online nutrigenomics protocol was further helpful. Nutrigenomics is, the, is based on identifying specific SNPs or mutations, usually in what is called the methylation cycle, and then correcting those deficits with particular nutrients. Similarly, I found my good friend and colleague, Dr. Judy Zafir, a holistic psychiatrist in the Boston area who already had been incorporating nutrition into her work for some time. I reached out to her not for medical advice, but for advice on starting a holistic psychiatry practice. She mentioned the physician training program at the Walsh Research Institute and advanced nutrient therapies, which we both attended. At the time, I didn't appreciate how effective and important the work of Dr. William Walsh in methylation, metal metabolism, and nutrient deficiencies and overloads would be in my work as a psychiatrist, nor did I realize how revel relevant this would be to understanding the roots of my and my daughter's symptoms. So after being away from practicing medicine and psychiatry for about 10 years, I started my what is now my current practice with the intention of bringing much of what I'd learned in my time that I was away about nutrition, diet, inflammation, toxicity, and so forth to my new practice. So originally my practice was very much focused on the work of Dr. Walsh as well as various dietary interventions. I would check people's nutrient levels and then balance them. This was relatively simple and very satisfying seeing many people having dramatic responses in their symptoms without using medication. But there were some of my patients, and my daughter and I included, who either couldn't tolerate the nutrients or the nutrient approach only took us so far in our healing. When I was continuing to have fatigue and neurologic symptoms, my friend Judy, who I mentioned, suggested I consider mold toxicity. This was a topic starting to take hold on functional medicine forums that we were part of, and sure enough, my daughter and I both were found to be, through testing, to have mold toxicity. We went to see Dr. Neil Nathan in California, who I would describe as one of the three leading pioneers in the field of environmental medicine and chronic complicated illness. He treated us both for mold toxicity and me for mast cell activation, which basically relates to an exaggerated immune response that mold toxicity can cause. Obviously, this raised my awareness with my patients, and I came to find that many of them, too, had mold toxicity at the root of their symptoms. The environmental medicine field, which I'm now very much a part of, is constantly evolving. I'm fortunate to be part of a mentoring group with Neil Nathan, and though many people seek me out because of their concerns about mold toxicity, many of those who are coming to me primarily for brain-related symptoms, I find, have mold toxicity as well. So my daughter and I were making big strides in our healing. I, however, continued to have headaches and symptoms that I came to realize were positional 
and that included uh, nausea and even at times mast cell activation, which I referred to. And this took me into another area of how the structures of our cranium, our skull basically, and our upper cervical vertebra can impact symptoms. Though I had been away from studying human anatomy for many, many years, and it was not part of my psychiatric training, obviously, I went on to do training with Dr. Carol McMakin, who was the leading authority and developer of frequency-specific microcurrent. And learning from her, as well as learning from Dr. Patrick Bray, a physical therapist in the Louisville area, he has a unique subspecialty in cranial dysfunction. Through them, I learned how much anatomy, and anatomy not in the brain itself, is at play when it comes to brain health. And for me personally, this ended up being the one of the last pieces of the puzzle to my symptoms that was then able to allow me to move towards healing. So when I'm meeting with someone, there's certain areas that I'm listening for as we go through, well, as I go through first their questionnaires, but then later as we go through a deep timeline together. One is nutrient imbalances. So there is a handful of specific nutrients that affect brain health. And if they're some if they're low and others if they're high can affect neurotransmitter activity and then create psychiatric symptoms. So nutrient imbalances are one. The other is toxicity. Now, certain nutrients, if they're off, will make us more vulnerable to toxicity. And then genetically, we vary in terms of our ability to detoxify, and this relates in part to something called methylation. And that's something I'll be talking about frequently because most individuals with brain-related symptoms are what we call under-methylated. So I mentioned nutrients, and then again, toxicity. Toxicity can be the swamp of toxins that we're all living in on a daily basis through products, through the air, through water, through pesticides. But it can also be mold toxicity from toxins in water-damaged buildings, of which we believe about 50% of buildings have. So that's another form of toxicity. Then there's also toxicity, That's and I should say mold toxicity is a biotoxin. Another type of tox, biotoxin could be from Lyme or Bartonella. Um, endotoxins are toxins that are created from microbes in our body. So if we've been on a lot of antibiotics, for example, we may have a lot of candida yeast overgrowth in our GI tract, and that that yeast in the GI tract can be, um, you know, releasing toxins that we would call endotoxins because they're coming from inside the body. Mold, similarly, um, seems to colonize the GI tract and the sinuses and can, and this would be the toxic forms of mold, and then, again, be a source of toxicity. So nutrient imbalances toxicity, and then the third piece of what I'm going to say is six pieces. Um, the third piece would be inflammation. And inflammation is basically our immune system responding to a danger. And that 
then leads to a cascade of inflammatory, inflammatory mediators that act on the body and the brain. So danger could be toxicity in the body. The immune system is recognizing something's there that shouldn't be. And so it starts to set a cascade of events that result in inflammation. Danger in terms of trauma can create through the stress hormone response uh, inflammation. The microbiome being Im uh, imbalanced um, and having too many problematic microbes present can cause inflammation. Um, having a, a microbe on board such as Lyme or mycoplasma or again mold can cause inflammation. So that's the third piece. So I said nutrient imbalances, toxicity, inflammation. The next would be these structural issues that are often not considered involving the head or neck. And the brain and the spinal cord are covered with what's called the dura. And the dura, like all of the tissues of our body, have cells that are too part of the inflammatory response. So when people are having inflammation, they can, and especially if they've had any kind of trauma, they can have inflammation in those particular areas, which can result, for example, in things like headaches, um, things like tension on those cranial nerves. Um, it can also, for example, if someone's had trauma and let's say had some slight scarring of the dura, they may, when there's drops in barometric pressure, have increased relative pressure in the skull or in the, under the dura, and then that too can cause tension on the dura and result in headaches for some people, dizziness for some people, for others, um, seemingly depression and fatigue. And I should mention that one of the cranial nerves is the vagus nerve, and so there's a lot of ways that can be impacted. So we talked about nutrient imbalances, toxicity, inflammation, uh, structural issues. Then the next piece is this stress hormone response. So we all seemingly genetically vary in how, how we respond to trauma. And that trauma can be something awful happening in our lives, but it can also be something in our early life where, let's say, we didn't have adequate attachment and so had a sense of chronic vulnerability, and that would sort of reset that point for us with which we experience stress, not just emotionally, but physiologically. And there is a stress hormone from the brain that tells our adrenal glands to make, to put out more cortisol. But seemingly about 15 to 20% of people have a lower set cortisol and so when their body needs more cortisol, be it they're under emotional stress or they're dealing with inflammation or toxicity, they, their body's not able to meet that, so the stress hormone from the brain releases, is released. And that stress hormone actually binds, has a receptor on particular inflammatory cells in the body called mast cells. And those mast cells will destabilize and release more inflammatory mediators. So it's why we can become inflamed through stress and why 
we can, you know, it, it's, it further explains how sort of all these dots start to connect. And rarely when I'm working with someone is there just one of these pieces going on. It's usually, you know, multiple factors aligned. The next piece that I would mention is, again, a spiritual perspective, because if we're only living in this very left brain world of details, making things happen, ego-oriented, have to be this way, have to do this. That is a very stressful way of engaging with our lives and with the world, and it's stressful on our body. If we're able to pull back, see the bigger picture, be more introspective, be more creative, not hold so tight to certainty, see ourselves as part of a bigger picture, that is a different physiologic place to be, and it's much more calming. So many people, I should say most people with brain-related symptoms, and, the most, and thus most of the people that I work with are undermethylated, as am I, and most physicians, most accountants, engineers, people that find themselves in detail-oriented fields are undermethylated. Um, but so too are most people that have psychiatric conditions. And so all of us can benefit from um, really practicing more of this right brain perspective, not only for our physiology in our body, but also to be activating those um, neurologic pathways. You know, if we're completely in the left side of our brain, we're really um, neglecting much of the right side. And of course, they're constantly and always working together. But if we can shift, the more we can shift to our right side, the more we can lower inflammation, lower stress, and just overall achieve more balance. So a piece that is quite complicated that I'm not going to be talking very much about, but that is the relationship between brain-related symptoms and hypermobility. So hypermobility could be being extra flexible or double-jointed or having that in one's family. Just to explain, I mentioned sort of what I listen for in terms of my evaluations, but my process is I have people complete quite in-depth questionnaires, and then the evaluation that I do is generally two hours. It's starting with getting to know them, obviously, and learning about their concerns and their symptoms, but then going through a deep timeline where we're really looking for um, environmental exposures, illnesses, times of trauma, times when things were wonderful and they were thriving. And um, through that, you know, identifying what the potential um, events led to their current symptoms. And, you know, for many people, it's a, it's a tipping point is reached when brain health is affected. So the brain's a pretty good barometer of things like inflammation and toxicity. So then after the evaluation, generally I'm able to give some recommendations of things I think could be helpful before we meet back, but separately I'm ordering lab work, so blood work to check specific nutrients, um, 
for many people, I do end up checking for mycotoxins or mold toxins because this is so common, I've found, when it comes to brain-related symptoms. Sometimes I do do what's called organic acids testing. It's a urine test. Um, or pyrrole testing, which is also a urine test. So basically, blood work and urine test. Um, I don't do that much stool testing. I did more in the past, but I'm able to get much of what I'm looking for through urine testing. Um, and then after the testing treatment process generally includes setting priorities. Um, there are stages to this type of treatment. So for example, if someone has mold toxicity and it's causing them significant inflammation to where they're reacting to medications and um, barometric changes and different foods and supplements and stress, and they're just so reactive, the first step of treatment is calming their immune system. And with that, there are specific nutrients that we use that can help with um, lowering anxiety. Um, the second step can be starting to remove toxins from the body. And again, I'm just using mold toxicity as an example, but removing mold toxins. And then the next step may be to be addressing yeast and or mold in the body. And so that could involve antifungal medication. Um, the next step could be, and that process can take some time, but then the next step can be addressing things like methylation that I mentioned earlier um, and, and addressing what can be what's called mitochondrial dysfunction where the little energy um, sources in the cells aren't working up to speed. So sometimes it's starting to do interventions that kind of bring things back on board Doing things out of order, for example, putting someone on an antifungal when they don't have the toxins being removed first with what we call binders could make them much worse. Or treating someone for methylation or even giving mitochondrial support um, too early can make people's symptoms worse. So the body's really set up to protect us in a way that kind of shuts things down a bit before we're able to um, remove toxicity and then, and then start to address that piece. So I'm spending more time talking about areas that most people are less familiar with. Obviously, attention to someone's uh, stress in their life, their coping skills, their ability to set boundaries, to take care of themselves, their sleep habits, um, exercise, diet is very much integrated into this type of treatment in, in large part because of the nutrient imbalances, but also because things like sugar in a high-carbohydrate diet would feed uh, yeast and mold, which are common in terms of brain-related health. So diet is very much a part of the treatment. Also very important is addressing trauma and attachment-related issues. I'm also realizing that I should comment on medication, specifically psychiatric medications. I'm not at all opposed to medication. I think it's life-saving for people. It's not something I do in my daily work because my education is, is solely focused on learning more and more 
about the evolving understanding of root causes. And there's plenty of psychiatrists out there who do prescribe medication. And, and it's not unheard of for me to see someone who has a psychiatrist prescribing their medication while they then come to see me to get to the deeper root causes, often with the hope of being off medication. So thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you have topics that you're particularly interested in, please let me know. I can be reached at my website, CourtneySnyderMD.com. I'm also on Facebook and have an Instagram account under the name The Holistic Psychiatry Podcast. <laughs>